Hi, Rachel. How's it going? Yeah, all good. Thanks, Philip. You? Very good. Thank you. Yes. This is a special episode because it's the last in this series. I know. It's gone very quickly, I feel, Series 4, even though it's exactly the same length as all the others. But I think it's been really interesting because we've had such diverse voices and we've had more religious people on this series than we've ever had in the other ones. Yeah, that's got to change. <laughs> I've I, practically had a minion. I think Series 5 will be the heathen's, the heathen's <laughs> return, we'll call it. It's been a good series. We've enjoyed doing it. We are recording more, so we know that Series 5 five will happen because obviously we've got the Edinburgh Festival coming up and the Queen's Jubilee. Do you know what? I'm not even going to be here. I'm flying to Dubai tomorrow for some gigs. I'm very excited about this trip because it was booked pre-lockdown and then obviously got cancelled because of COVID and then it was rebooked and then it was re-cancelled. I'm a bit worried because I keep seeing flights are being cancelled all the time at the moment because yeah. the companies have overstretched themselves. So I'm hoping to be out there tomorrow. I will be missing the Queen's Jubilee. I guess you won't mind. But you know, once the airlines hear that you're three comedians needing to get out to Dubai I'm sure they'll do whatever they can possibly do to get you there they'll airlift you in a helicopter if need be it'll all be fine I think airplanes have the capability to airlift people <laughs> so I, I think we'll be okay the flights are cancelled <laughs> oh I see right yes no hopefully it won't but for everyone else who's staying here enjoy the jubilee congratulations to Hamaj I um, nearly had a weird jubilee related accident on Monday what happened I was driving up a road near my house and I noticed that up ahead of me they had bunting strung between the trees and I thought oh they're getting ready for the jubilee early and as I approached to the bit where that was a string like a rope suddenly popped up in front of my car almost like a tripwire do you know what I mean? Of course I know what you mean I laid the tripwire <laughs> it wasn't you it was the guy who was hanging the bunting hadn't been looking out to see if there were cars coming and luckily I saw it and I slammed on my brakes and I stopped almost touching the rope you know it was all very lucky because first of all I wasn't driving fast but if I'd gone into the rope then he would have probably been swung around and smashed into my car you know that might have dented my car what a terrible way to start the jubilee Brilliant. but also if the rope had got caught like between my wheels and the chassis of the car then I might have crashed and then they'd have to rename the whole thing the Rachel Cregan Memorial Queen's Jubilee and I don't think Elizabeth would have liked that No, I also don't think she would like you calling her Elizabeth, you know, <laughs> in the great scheme of things, I'm glad you didn't have the accident Can I tell you what my biggest anxiety was? That it was such a stupid accident to have if it had occurred, that I'd end up being one of the kind of stories that I read out when I go onto the radio to talk about silly stories <laughs> that have happened in the week, I just couldn't bear the idea that somebody else would be sitting on like Radio London going and a hilarious thing happened to comedian Rachel Grieger It does feel like another episode in the Darwin Awards it was so ridiculous. And worst of all, actually, is that he did a sort of ho, 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 like chuckly mime at me and waved like, oh, aren't I a bit silly? Had it been terrible, can you imagine that during the Jubilee celebrations, they would have had to pause for silence? Other than that, Rachel, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? I've been watching the TV show Hunted with my teenage son, and we very much enjoy it. So if anyone hasn't watched it, it's basically generally pairs of people who were all dropped off somewhere and then they're kind of chased by the real official people who hunt for terrorists in the UK so it's police and they've got all kinds of resources and if they can make it for a month without being hunted down by these teams then they win a big prize and we've watched all the series so far and the aim is that one day I'll be famous enough to go on celebrity hunting
interested and my son will come with me and yesterday while we were watching the episode it occurred to me that we had to start planning for what we'll do every week when it gets to Shabbat and how we'll survive if we had to like fend for ourselves and we decide to camp out in the wild what are we going to eat maybe we're going to have to learn a few extra Jewish skills to enable us to reach the end of the hunted any idea what those Jewish skills were going to be like Shechita might have to learn how to kill our own food imagine the controversy if I was seen to kill a pig for food or a fox love that we would have to learn how to pitch a tent on Shabbat without breaking any of the laws all of that sounds doable I think it's just the practical stuff that I don't imagine many of the other contestants have ever had to consider no what about you what's been your most Jewish thing of the week well recently I went to a synagogue supper quiz which already is the most Jewish thing that can happen to you a supper quiz is like a pub quiz but with slightly better food um (laughs) fish and chips was very nice so a group of us made a table together we were the youngest there by about 80 years I think actually previous guest Rabbi Debbie Young Summers was also there and uh, our tables came joint in the competition not joint first I should say we came third or joint fourth we're not sure but anyway it it was a lovely supper quiz we were raising money for Ukraine there was a raffle It it was typical supper quiz fodder but one of the questions really threw us because the question was what is the sixth book of the bible okay now, i was always brought up to know that in the torah there were five books the five books yeah. of moses you've got i'm going to try and name them now genesis uh exodus numbers leviticus deuteronomy That's very good it. anyway i was brought up to believe there were five books of moses five books of the torah that was it so when the question was what's the sixth book of the torah we started to think well it must be a trick question it must <laughs> and we now know i think it's joshua is the correct it is answer, joshua yeah but we wouldn't have known that on our heathen table so we thought because we thought this was a clever answer what book comes after the torah surely the new testament <laughs> so we that was our answer we put the new testament was the sixth book of the bible so we, we assumed it was a trick question and then as rabbi debbie pointed out to us when she came over to check on our marathon round answers very cheeky she said that we don't even consider the old testament as being the old testament it's just the bible it's just the torah yeah so i learned something new and we had a good night we raised a lot of money for the charity but that felt to me quite a jewish thing to happen that <laughs> We That's just very, assumed, very funny. We just assumed it, it went five books of Moses, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no, you have Joshua, which is like the sequel. He sort of gets a bit of a mention towards the end. And then you've got the kind of a while later, someone going, there's a franchise in this. Hang on, who gets a mention towards the end? Joshua in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Joshua gets a mention. Yeah. Is that like the, the post credit scene? <laughs> like it's, it's a Marvel thing where you've watched the film, then suddenly go, we want to show you what's coming next. And then they show that. And then there's a a sign that says, Joshua will return. (laughs) I mean, actually, that is really not far off what happens. Because we do know that he's going to be the successor of Moses. So, like, he's already kind of a little bit involved. And then he gets his own That makes sense. I don't want to be disparaging about the Bible. But once you equate it to Marvel, like Marvel, that's something I can believe in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that was my most Jewish thing of the week. We should get on to this week's episode. It's... such a lovely one so nice that we can end the series on a really lovely chat it's always amazing to me how different the vibe is depending on the guests and we covered a lot of topics in this that we've never discussed before so for example the fact that apparently people who work in klezmer music can be quite challenging that's a new fact i think that we weren't aware of but what was really 
special, I think, in this episode is that our guests were very revealing about themselves and their personal struggles that they've been through, particularly around the subject of diet and weight and food and our relationship as a community to those issues. Because it's quite complex. We talk about food a lot in our show. Like I'd say that across all the series that we've done, that will be the main topic, regardless of whatever the theme was of that segment. You know, whether we're talking about Bruegesses or we say we're talking about the most Jewish thing that's happened to someone, inevitably there's a food story. So hearing some perspectives on that from people who found that a challenge is really interesting to me. Ending on something that has a really different flavour to continue the food analogy, it's probably a very fitting series finale. So this is Daniel Bell and Leah Forster. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Philip Simon. And I'm Rachel Krieger. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Reform, so at school I was only occasionally picked on. And I'm Orthodox, so at school I was picked on so much, it felt like I'd been given my very own Jubilee. This show is the audio equivalent of the Jubilee, full of reverence, surprisingly popular with Americans, and after much build-up, it's over in a flash. In each episode, we chat to two of our favourite Jews about their lives and experiences growing up, and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they Queen Elizabeth or Queen Esther? Welcome to Jew Talking to Me. Let's introduce our guests. Leia Forster is a character comedian with an enormous following on social media where she regularly posts as Bela, Pesci and others. And as a hair coverer, I'm personally a massive fan of Tickle Tuesday. Daniel Lobel is a stand-up comedian and comic book writer, also known for his podcast, Modern Day Philosophers. And he recently filmed a documentary, Reconquistador, where he returned to his ancestral homeland of Spain to perform comedy and to learn about his heritage. And I saw it. And it was fab. So welcome to Leia and Daniel. Thank you. Thank Hello you. To both. You are very welcome. Now, regular listeners to the podcast will know that we always like to find out how our guests self-define as Jews. You already <laughs> know that Rachel's Orthodox and I'm Reform. So we'd like to know what kind of Jew are you? What upbringing did you have? And is that still the kind of Jew that you are now? Leia, how about you? I am just a Jew. I am not a kind of Jew. I am just a Jew and a human being. And I'm good with that umbrella term. I think my relationship with Judaism and my relationship with, you know, all of that is between me and myself. So I don't have a label for myself as basically with anything in my life. What about how you grew up? That's a good question. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> oh, by the way, you guys might want to offer Daniel a full-time position on your podcast. <laughs> I grew up ultra, ultra Orthodox, Hasidic. Um, I was born in Williamsburg. I was raised in Borough Park in a very small little close-knit community. We spoke all mostly Yiddish in the home. I went to an all-girls, very ultra-Orthodox religious school with very stringent rules and restrictions, but also a really lovely, warm, beautiful community. I did not want to continue my lifestyle in the ultra-Orthodox Hasidic community, but here I am, very proud Jew. I went to a very Orthodox Jewish girls' school as well, and Philip always jokes that we have Jew talking to me bingo, where if I say certain things about my life, he's like, oh, that's tick another box of the Jew talks to me bingo, and stories about my school, because they're so ridiculous, they definitely fall into that category. Just like life stuff we learned, things like about how evolution didn't take place, that kind of stuff. 
They tell you ridiculous things growing up, like God only punishes the people that he loves the most. Did you hear that one? I did hear that one. I remember till nine years old, I was like petrified that like, oh my God, God doesn't love me. Like I've never been truly punished. Like I don't know what pain feels like. Well, this week we were talking at home about one of the things from my school, which is you're not allowed to wear shiny shoes because it reflects your underwear and a rabbi might see it. Why specifically a rabbi? Because in terms of the school day, that was the male gaze that okay. might appear. Scandalous, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, how about you? What kind of Jew are you? What's your background? I'm sitting here realizing that this might have been a, a misbooking. I'm actually a Muslim. <laughs> that awkward? Not at all. Salam. Thank you. I would guess I would identify as a Sephardic Jew, although, you know, ethnically I'm I'm both in terms of genetically, I guess. Genetically I'm both, but I was raised Sephardic and I practice Sephardic Judaism. Like it's like witchcraft. I practice Sephardic Judaism. <laughs> I am a Sephardic Jew. Were there elements of being an Ashkenazi Jew that you might have preferred? No. Okay. <laughs> Good chat. Uh... <laughs> My son is a wannabe Sephardic Jew. He's married to an Indian Jew and she was devastated to have to lose her Sephardic customs when she marries an Ashkenazi. Particularly now we're coming up to Passover is there are foods which if you're Sephardic you get to eat on Passover that if you're Ashkenazi you can't. So for example I think it would be the pain of losing rice on Passover. Yeah. I hope that in our generation we see that kind of barrier lifted and we all come together to have what's the as kitniot to have rice and beans and whatever at our seder with your ashkadoz your safadi that's the beautiful world i dream of <laughs> i mean listen they have kosher le pesach pizza so anything is possible it's true yeah. if you will it it's not a dream i mean they, they've got kosher le pesach anything if you put a sticker on it that says it's kosher le pesach so boom really, well done yeah a kosher le pesach sticker that adds another three pounds to the cost i mean that's not even a joke that's just depressing Daniel, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? I played a gig on Purim at a shul on the beach in Venice Beach with a klezmer band. Excellent. Pretty Jewish. I think a Purim gig with the Klezmer band and uh, the Klezmer band blocked my car in. And, uh, <laughs> now it's Jewish. And I was trying to not be rude because I didn't want to interrupt their set. So I wouldn't want someone to interrupt my set. The difference is the Klezmer band just kept going and going. And then I was talking to a friend of mine. I'm not going to mention this Klezmer band, but he told me that all Klezmer people are jerks. I don't know if that's a true statistic, but he said, you got to watch out for the klezmers. <laughs> people are crazy. So I asked them when they finally stopped playing, if they could move their car so I could leave. And they're like, well, we got to break down our instruments. I said, okay, that's fair. You know, that's not really fair. They could have just moved the car, but I was like, all right, I'll wait a little longer. Then they took forever to break down the instruments. And the wife was there and we have two little kids. And I'm like, come on, we got to get out of here. So she she got frustrated and she went up and she's like, please move your car, you know? And then they got upset. We're like pressuring them. And then they only barely moved the car. And they're like, there, that's enough. You could get out now. And I had like a really hard time getting out around their car. So I guess the moral is, you you know, you, my friend might be right. You got to watch out for these klezmer people. You know, <laughs> hanging on to like a dying music and they're not taking it well <laughs> like now you klezmer. mention it i think the music has got a very passive aggressive edge i like klezmer but i like jazz better or i like just like straight jewish music it's kind of like a fusion between yeah. jazz and jewish music it's like pick a side man either your jazz or your jewish music you gotta stop this i don't like anything that's fusion 
I don't like jazz fusion. I'd rather just straight jazz. I don't like Asian fusion. That just means you didn't figure out how to cook one kind of Asian food right. You know, <laughs> anytime they fuse things, it's like they haven't figured it out. So watch out for the klezmers. They will block you in. <laughs> yeah, I feel it's more about the parking than it is about the music. You're quite right about that. <laughs> <laughs> You know what, Daniel? This is a safe space. We're so glad you share that with us. I had an interesting perm too. I'm just going to piggyback off you. So obviously my background is extremely fascinating because my dad and his family and his new wife, they live in Williamsburg, in the center of Williamsburg, which is where I grew up. It was the most incredible Purim. I started off my Purim by attending a JQY event, which is a Jewish queer event, where the entire Megillah was read by different queer people. And then every few minutes we stopped and there was a performance by an incredible group of like, uh, you know, overly dressed trans performers. And it was like, I've never seen Megillah played out like that. It was like dope. And then the next morning, I went to my father in Williamsburg, in the center of Williamsburg, where it's like a little shtetl. The women don't dress up there because it's not appropriate to dress up on Purim for a woman, you know, once they're of age. I went dressed up. And when I was in the car, I was like, oh, God, I'm walking into Williamsburg. I'm so, like, not in that world anymore that I was like, crap, I'm going to come and dress up. And I wasn't just dressed up. I was wearing, like, a tiger costume with, like, full face of light. It was, it was not a vibe for Williamsburg. And I was like, you know what? My dad loves me. His wife loves me. I don't need to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm going as I am. And I walked in. I put on a skirt, though, that I did put on. And I was like, you know, so at least I was modest. But for that community, it doesn't matter how modest I look. I'm still not modest enough for their standards. And I walked in and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that I'm dressed up. And she's so sweet. My, um, my dad's wife, she said, it's okay. The girls here are dressed up. And she pointed to like the six and seven year olds. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm like, do you want me to sit at the kid's table too? So I had a really great uh, perm in terms of like dichotomy. I had the queer Jewish fun, you know, um, and then I had the Williamsburg warm fun. It was a really good fusion. I know you don't like that word, Daniel. But it was a Jewish fusion for my Jewsian. A Jewsian, exactly. Jewsian, very nice. Daniel, did you dress up? Uh, yeah, we dressed up like the Adams family. Amazing. Who yeah. are you? I don't remember the kid's name. The chubby kid with the stripy shirt. What's his oh, name? What's the kid's name? I, I can only remember she's Wednesday. I don't. Yeah, think nobody remembers Wednesday. Nobody remembers the boy's name. I'll Google it. Hold on, boy. Adam's family. <laughs> I bet that actor's got like a proper hang up about it. The fact that no one ever remembers his name. My sister, who's in New York and has a new baby, went to her Purim activity dressed up as a popcorn seller and the baby held in a papoose type thing in front was the popcorn. So it, it had like a box and it had a hat that looked like popcorn. It was a very cool costume. Very cool. What was the name there, Daniel? Pugsley. 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 I would never remember that in a million years if you'd woken me up with a gun to my head at two o'clock in the morning. No. Well, that's who I dressed up as. <laughs> <laughs> well well done i'm sure and i'm sure you were excellent at it yeah i wear a striped shirt so it sounds like you've both had 
pretty good Purim activities going on. That That's good. Uh, in a completely non-Jewish question, really, we always like to find out how things are going on with your lives in general and ask, what's the matter, Bubbler? So, Daniel, what's going on with you at the moment? You want the what's the matter, Bubbler? Well, I'm in, like, yet another program for, like, trying to lose weight. And this one is at UCLA Medical Center. My friend is doing it, and I ran into him at Shul, and uh, he lost a lot of weight. And I'm like, oh, how'd you do that? And he's like, do I this program so i joined the program and they draw blood from you because they're vampires and uh <laughs> they um put a needle in my hand and it really hurt and that was a month ago and my hand still hurts wow i think they damaged the nerve in my hand so that's the matter bubbler i still have a hurting hand i'm so hand sorry yeah. as a jewish Thank mother you. that's uh, heartbreaking for me to hear i wish everyone would care that much but... is it your eating hand <laughs> Like, is, I that, mean, is that why they did it? you have an eating hand? I don't know, but is there a theory that if well, you can't... let's say you hold a sandwich. Wouldn't you hold a sandwich with both hands? Yeah, but like there's a hand. One that takes the sandwich, and then the other one just assists gently. That's the strong hand. Your eating uh-huh, hand. Uh-huh. So just like my dominant hand, you mean? Yeah. No. Oh. Mm. Is the program working <laughs> apart from the hand pain? Uh, I lost a little bit of weight. I don't know. It's always a struggle. It's a crazy disease of sorts, mental, yeah. something like that. Yeah. I kind yeah. of always wish that if you really, really wanted it enough, then you could go to sleep one night and then wake up thinner the next day without having actually had to do anything about it. It would be fair if like you were just as thin as you, as much you ate that day. So like certain days you eat a lot, you just look really fat. Certain days you barely eat, you look really skinny. That'd be interesting. I'm not going to be one of those people that say that this conversation is triggering because I do want to give you like a super safe space, but I struggled with my body image and my relationship with food for a big portion of my life. And like six, seven years ago, I made a massive change. And like, I don't like to use numbers and things like that, but a significant change and like hearing all this talk about like weight and numbers, it's like, ugh. Ugh, oh, so what happened? Of- so what was the change you made? Mentally, mental health. I started taking um, therapy very, very seriously. I started going to CODA four nights a week. And I realized that I was exhibiting a lot of addictive behaviors because I wanted to numb myself from my personal stuff going on inside. And once I actually did the work and I did EMDR and um, CBT and lots of therapy, and I'm doing all that still now, six years later, slowly I started noticing that I felt healthier. I started sleeping better my skin was better um i started the blood type way of eating which was i eat for my blood type which means i haven't had like chicken in six years i don't drink alcohol i like i eat specific foods that are very very good for my blood i eat salmon every single day um whatever you can google the blood type diet the point is is that um i don't weigh myself i have no idea how much i weigh but I'm very active. I run every day or I play basketball or I swim. And I made these little changes, not intentionally to lose weight. And my body transformed. I've seen it from, I have a child um, who's almost 18 and also struggled. I really believe that when you deal with this, all of this, and you become healthy here, then it's easier to deal with the other things. And this isn't talking about people that actually struggle with like obesity and eating disorders and all that stuff and body dysmorphia. It's all real. But for me personally, as someone who was totally addicted to food and emotional eating, I just had to really just learn to love myself. And now I live intentionally. So when I reach over and I have a slice of pizza, I'm like, if you love yourself, like you say you do, would you be eating four more slices right now? Because that's abuse for your body. You know that, Leah. So I'm always, when I put it in my mouth, it's I, it, I'm making sure that it's an act of love. 
for my body. And sometimes I love myself and I want a piece of cheesecake. That's also love, you know? I just, I hear the word like food and I'm like, ah, and weight and numbers. It's so, thank you, Daniel. What's up, Bubba? That sucks. We need to change that. Thank you. I think we, I think we give you the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think so. Is, I mean, Leah, is there anything else that's the matter, Bubba, or are you happy with? I mean, I'm just going to piggyback off of everything Daniel says all day, but that's actually a big one for me. And it's like, it's such a shame. And I grew up in that world where when it's time for us to be married off, as they call it, in my strict Hasidic community, everything is very much about a resume, like, you know, a matchmaking resume. Where did she go to school? Where did she go to seminary? What does she look like? How much money do her parents have? Who did her siblings marry? And of course, size and weight is super important, but not as important as like a guy looking at a girl and being like, oh, I like curves or whatever. No, it's the girls must be pin thin, like size two and below. And I've gotten, I was a high school teacher for many years. People ask me, so what size is the girl? And I'll say, hmm, I think she's like a two. And somebody once asked me, okay, but is she like a thin two or a chubby two? Wow. I said, what the hell is a chubby two? I'd be thrilled to be a chubby two. But my point is, is that that's society. And that's where I come from. And that's where my body image issues come from. My value lies in my size. And now I don't give two Fs and I'm in the best shape of my life because my value doesn't come from that. It comes mm. from here. And that's why I spoil myself. I spoil myself with good workouts. I spoil myself with wholesome food. I spoil myself with meditation. I spoil myself with therapy. I deserve it. My mum is a shodhan, a matchmaker, and she is very upfront with the boys and with mothers of boys about their judgments on what is acceptable in a prospective bride because it does seem to be that uh, kind of trying to think of a polite way of saying it a guy with very little prospects who is unkempt and doesn't take care of himself and hasn't got much of an education and really isn't interested in earning a living and whatever will come and they'll be wanting a supermodel who has like a PhD what people want and expect are sometimes a bit unrealistic but I think in our community like the wider Jewish community I think a lot of people People um, have issues around food anyway because it's so like tied up in our religious life, our cultural life, in how we love, you know, that our um, history has experiences of deprivation. So there's a lot of overcompensation. So I think it's a quite a relatable issue, like whichever side of it you stand on is a, a relatable issue. Well, I've brought the conversation to a close there. I can talk about this all day. This has been on my life journey was learning to love myself. So I can talk about body image and weight and food all day. And the comments that I heard growing up that were so freaking destructive to say to someone, you have a beautiful face, you know, but if you like, what is that? But Mm -hmm. if, and it comes under the guise of health, that's the newest thing. Like, oh, it's, you know, it just, she's so overweight. It's, it's not healthy. Really? Because the Victoria's Secret model that told you that she's been eating cacao and cayenne pepper mix for the last 10 days. And that's how she lost weight because she's living on lemons. That's okay. (laughs) She got up and she strutted her ribs. Our society is effed up completely. Personally, me, I mean, even the type that I'm attracted to. I like real looking humans that look like real people. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Look, cushion for the pushing. Oh, that's beautiful. And there's the tag for the episode. <laughs> it does sound like the most Yiddish phrase. Cushion for the pushing. <laughs> 
I mean, normally we always go on to ask you about favorite foods, but I don't know if we've already covered that. Obviously my favorite food in the whole world is pizza. And then when I made the changes in my life, well, you can't show this on camera, but look. He's showing us, oh, you've got a tattoo of pizza tattoo on your arm. And it says, rest in pizza. Can you see it? You can't really. You went from putting pizza inside her to putting pizza outside her. Hell yeah. Daniel, you are very clever. Very clever. Very clever. Very clever. Very smart. <laughs> on the outside now, the pizza. But I loved pizza too. And uh, I kind of went away when I moved to L.A. because the pizza here is just not very good. What about Jewish foods? What's your best Jewish food memory is the question I'm asking you. Would you consider like pastrami a Jewish food? Sure. Chopped liver. Oh, yeah. Is that the chopped liver made by your bubby or the random chopped liver by anybody? Um, I really like the chopped liver at this place called the Pastrami Queen. Actually, my great-grandmother used to make me rogalov when i was a kid and banana cake and i was only like five when she passed away but i still um i remember those foods i'll tell you a funny story about the banana cake like it was the best banana cake ever to my memory but i was very young and you know you're always chasing that first banana cake high so (laughs) it was one time in the the late joe franklin i don't know if you ever heard of him he was like a new york broadcaster who was like famous in like the 50s or something i was in his office in times square and if you guys listening google joe franklin's office it was like a legendary he was like a a hoarder's hoarder it had like stacks of showbiz memorabilia floor to ceiling and it was actually featured in the documentary the aristocrats so oh wow check out that office it was crazy and he used to have all these really interesting characters hanging out at the office who he'd known from show business strange people and there was actually a guy from london once who was a psychic a psychic medium not full psychic just a medium um <laughs> he's telling me to communicate with dead people so i i was like ah, you know a bit skeptical so i said well then i want you to talk to my great grandmother and find out the recipe for that banana cake that she used to make and he's like oh, okay so i get a piece of paper and a pen and i'm like all right give me the recipe so he's like all right um anna are you there okay yeah i'm here with your great grandson and he wants the banana cake <laughs> no two eggs uh-huh what brown sugar did you say brown sugar anyway he's going through all these how many bananas yes <laughs> okay and then i'm like I'm like i can't believe it the guy's rattling off a banana cake recipe whether he's talking to my dead great grandmother or not like the fact that he could just name a banana cake recipe is pretty impressive right so yeah now i'm like getting really like wow maybe he is talking to her then i felt bad for bothering her <laughs> Jewish, like I suddenly had Jewish guilt. My bubby from the dead was like I was disturbing her from bothering other dead people. Like, yeah, like I'm like, well, she's just chilling in heaven, and then she's got like rile off banana cake recipe. She can't even be making banana cakes up there, probably. So that's got to suck. And then she's like, oh man, my great grandson is really bothering me for this banana cake recipe. All right, hold on a minute. So you know, she's talking to other like souls. She's like, hold on a minute, let me let me go deal with this. So then you know, she's got to deal with this British psychic guy. Not even getting to talk to me directly. It's like, what what did you want? You wanted the secret to life? No, you just wanted a banana cake recipe? All right. Well, you know, I told you anything. 
But uh, all right. So anyway, I'm writing down this whole recipe and, and he lists off like a lot of stuff. And I'm like, this is amazing. But the only way to know if this guy's legit or not is if I go and make this banana cake and it tastes like what I remember. Right. And if it does, then I got to rethink everything because then maybe you really can communicate with the dead and everything like this is this is big. So I'm like, I got to get out of here. Thank you, everybody. I'm out. Going right back to Brooklyn to get this stuff at Seatown. It's a supermarket there. And I'm going to make this banana cake. So get on the subway, get off in Brooklyn, get into the supermarket, go into my pocket. The paper is gone. With the rest. I'm like, no, I can't have lost the paper. This is too important. So I retrace all my steps back into Manhattan, right back to the office. I'm looking for that paper. I'm like, where did it fall out? I'm looking in the subway platforms on the stairs. I'm going crazy looking for this paper. I can't find it anywhere. I go all the way back to the office. And Joe Franklin said, I'm like, you remember that psychic who was here? And he was old already, and he, he didn't remember. He's like, no, I don't know. A lot of people come through here. I'm like, come on. What was his name? The guy. You talked to my great-grandmother. You got me a banana cake recipe. You were sitting right here. He's like, no, I don't remember any of that. So that was it. I never found out who that guy was. I never found that recipe. And I don't know if I bothered my great-grandmother for a banana cake recipe, you know. But anyway, that's the story. That is an amazing story. And I feel like there are so many different possibilities. Like possibility A, he was never there. Possibility B, he's been making banana cake for years and none of his family like it and they've always moaned about it. And then suddenly this guy rocks up and he gave you his own recipe. Where do we go from here? Should we petition the audience to see if they can find him? I was waiting to hear how it tasted. After that, that was the twist and I was sad. Also, just want to advocate and say that really banana doesn't belong in bread. Let's be honest with one another. Fruit in general doesn't belong in cakes. It's two totally different food groups. I really don't trust people that have fruits in their cakes. It doesn't make sense to me. So, Daniel, something to reconsider. This might be a sign of something bigger. Just putting it out there. I think we just disagree on some things. Like, I don't like fusion. You seem to like fusion. You think it's more important to love yourself than pizza? I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> Wait one second. That's not that's not a contradiction. You can love yourself and have pizza. Welcome to being a Jew. There's a loophole for everything. I'm only teasing. <laughs> but I do like a banana cake. I'm a big fan. I don't know where you came up with this theory that fruit does not belong in cake. It's a natural marriage. They're both sweet. My family is very strict on the apple cake. Like that's part of our heritage. Yeah, I think we finally hit an episode where we're going to get letters and complaints. <laughs> You're saying I can't have fruit? Can't have fruit in I my cake? Outrage to discover. No, if anyone knows me, anyone who's my friend who's listening to this, which, wow, you're really a friend if you're listening to another episode where I'm talking about myself. Um, I can't stand the idea of fruit mixed with another food item. Where does mangoes come into a salad? A salad is lettuce. What the hell are you putting a fruit in there for? I like mangoes in salad. I don't know. I think you're way off base with this one. But, you know, this might be the podcast that puts you guys on the map. This is what every podcaster dreams of. We've been working towards this. Uh, We're series four now. We finally have an episode where there's genuinely a Broigus that's going to kick off. If a Broigus were to start between any of us here, that might not be uh, as bad as any Broigus you already have in your lives. You, You might want to share with us. 
So we'd love to know in uh, a conversation we always have, and maybe there's an American English version of bagel versus bagel. You, I imagine, are all team bagel. Bagel. Because you're doing it correctly. So good. It's so this it Americanly, it's not Americanly, correct. which it's for the first a... time is also known as correctly. Whatever. So we always like to find out if there is a broigus that you would like to share with us from your own lives or just something you've witnessed from afar. Leia, let's go first with you so that Daniel can have a rest from being piggybacked. <laughs> this is going to be so much fun because I don't know where to begin, but I'll just start with this one. And that was um, my mishap or whatever you want to call it with the kosher certification in New York. And this goes back to New Year's quite a few years ago where I booked myself this restaurant and I sold out tickets to a show on New Year's Eve. And that was a big problem because at the time I was um, closeted for being somewhere, Daniel, on the fusion. I don't really think they use fusion as a thing now, like to try and elevate fusion. I'm a very big fan of fusions, personally. And that's why, Daniel, you and I are complete and utter opposites. I love the idea of mixing my Jewish and non-Jewish community. I like the idea of mixing within the Jews, all the communities. I, I love didn't the idea say I'm against mixing. I said I'm against fusing. Oh, I love fusing. I like a little bit of this and a little like bit of that. Mixing. I like mixing. Okay. Um, okay, so long story short, I had a situation at a local restaurant and they kicked me out before the show, a couple of weeks before the show, even though we had an agreement because of my sexuality. And I took it and I walked away because I know the community I come from and I wasn't trying to make a scene and I booked another restaurant. But after that restaurant was bullied by the kosher certifications in New York, some of them, the ultra-Orthodox ones, the whole community, many people in the community started sending around viral messages saying we can't allow Leia to perform in our community. Like she's bringing in, you know, the terrible things into our people, which by the way, none of my jokes at the time had anything to do with my personal life. I was just a general comedian. Now I'm like, hell yeah, let me talk about my personal life because it's actually very funny. <laughs> so that was my bruggus. It actually served a a really good purpose. At the time, I didn't see it. I went through a really difficult time because I had worked so hard to become comfortable with who I was. And then along came these people and told me I'm no good. So it put me back in a tough place until I realized that I am actually good and God loves me and I, I deserve to embrace my Judaism just like you. And, um, and that's some people. Some people are that way. So that was something that I learned. And also as a whole, we raised a lot of awareness in the community. And the community actually issued an apology letter saying that someone's personal orientation does not affect a kosher certification of a restaurant and every person needs to make their own decisions. So for me, that was like something that I'm really proud of, uh, the way that I handled it and the outcome. So that's my biggest. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> I had a very similar experience to you. A friend booked me to headline a charity fundraiser for a religious Jewish charity which had helped his family at a very difficult time. And people connected to the charity tried to put not just me in Cherem and the event in Cherem, so they tried to kind of, what's the English word for that? I'm trying to think what the word is. Ostracize me and the event. They put out the word that anyone attending the show that I was headlining, because it was going to, and it was a mixed audience and it was whatever, that they wouldn't be welcome in certain of the shtibles, the small synagogues, that people would choose not to frequent their businesses, that their kids might not be accepted in certain schools. Like it was really extreme. And I asked the charity, would you prefer me to pull out? Because I'd rather you raise the money than like 
whatever it's not about my ego and they were like no we can't be bullied this is ridiculous and in the end what happened was the people who were uncomfortable about coming but really wanted to support it but they didn't want to end up with problems from their rabbis and their community leaders those people bought tickets that they weren't going to use and they phoned up the organizer and they said to him we're buying a ticket but we can't be seen at your event so you can resell our seat in the end we resold half the auditorium because of wow. the people who didn't come and we made like half as much money again for the charity so their like horrible judgmental religious nastiness actually meant that we raised like way more charity than if they'd been nice and supportive and all turned up wow rich look at you being a warrior Hell yeah. A warrior. A warrior and a warrior. A warrior and a warrior. I've never faced any adversity, so I can't... Uh, it's not a competition. Probably falling out with everybody I've ever done anything with. You've had your broigus with the Klezmer community. <laughs> Being the Klezmers, man. From that same event, I did a joke, and I knew it was kind of a divisive joke, but, you know, it's the point. He decided to be a Jew and have chutzpah. Yeah. So afterwards, the gig went pretty well, and... Two people were like, hey, that was really funny. And one else was like, really funny. And then this woman at the table, she's like, uh, can, can I say something? I'm like, uh, sure. She's like, I was offended by that joke that you made. And I was just like, okay, good. And she was like, what? I was like, good. I'm like, you know, that means I did my job. You know, you're supposed to be offended a little bit. It's a comedy show. Like, I just got, you know, I'm very tired of people feeling like you're not supposed to be offended by anything. Like, part of life is being offended, you know? Like, if you're not offended by anything, you never get it. You're, you're, you're never getting your perspective shook up at all. It was kind of fun for me, though, too, because, like, in the past, I might have just been like, oh, I'm so sorry or whatever. I was like, eh, I don't care anymore. You know, you're offended. Okay, good. Be offended. Were you allowed to know what the joke was or at least a... Well, it was a joke about, about when I was in the airport in Dubai and uh, this guy said to me, he's like, my friend, you've had a, a really long flight. Would you like a free shower? And I'm like, I'm Jewish. Fool me once. So that was the joke. That's a great joke. Thank it's an you. excellent joke. I can see why someone will come and be offended. I, I do this series. It's only Jewish audiences that they'll actually come up and tell you that they were offended. What, what are you going to do? Like, yeah, I mean, she wasn't. She wasn't a Holocaust survivor. She was a young woman. You know, if she was like an older woman, I might be a more. You know, but anyway, the joke is not not that I have to explain it to her or anybody. But it's it's certainly not an anti-Semitic joke coming from me. It's my perspective on life, and that's because of the fact that I'm Jewish. Yeah. Okay, my question for you is. Um, is comedy your full-time? Is that what you do full-time? It used to be, but then I became Shomer Shabbat, and uh, I had to stop taking a lot of gigs. So that was a tough thing at first, transitioning, because, like, you know, I just felt like I am a comedian, and I didn't really have a distinction between me and what I do at that point, I think. So I was just like, my identity was what I did. And then I was just like, I kind of like the fact that things are on my terms now. It did mean that I lost a lot of work. So now I do a variety of other things to compensate for that. Like I produce podcasts for people or audio recordings or audio books. I have a little studio I set up that people can rent. And I also write comic books and sell my own comic books. That's really cool. Um, the reason why I ask is because based on your like approach of like, I don't care if I offend people, which is amazing. I obviously can tell that you do other things because I find that people who do comedy full-time and it's their everything have to be much more careful because their entire career is at risk. For me, like I don't give a half a crap who likes me, who doesn't like me, who follows me, who doesn't because 
comedy is something I do for fun. It's a passion. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm invested. I love what I do. But it's like, if you're not going to hire me or if you're not going to follow me because of something that I said, then okay, don't hurt yourself on the way out, you know? Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, I, I definitely had that thing where, like, my whole life was my career for a long time. And I kind of burned that career down. So now it's more fun because I'm more free. How long ago did you make the decision to go Shoma Shabbat? When my wife was converting to Judaism, it happened during then. We were living in Brooklyn. She was not Jewish. I was not religious. And she decided she wanted to become Jewish. And I tried to stop it. And it didn't work. <laughs> And she got really into it and she wound up going to classes, conversion classes, which I was very against for a long time. But ultimately I went and I decided to scream at the rabbi and try and put an end to the whole thing. But he was too nice and he disarmed me. And so I wound up going to classes with her. I felt like I converted to Judaism with her, although I was Jewish, like I had a lot of hangups about it. You know, I was kicked out of Jewish school and all these kind of things. So like I had a lot of anger and baggage and i was able to sort of see it all with fresh eyes and see the beauty and everything through my wife's conversion and slowly and not without kicking and screaming i wound up coming around to it and becoming shomer shabbat it was a long process like five years and then wound up you know loving shabbat very different than i used to feel about it all and then over time i was like okay i guess i should only take gigs i could walk to on a friday night And then I just didn't feel great performing on Friday nights anymore. I was just like, this is like my time and I don't want to be doing this on Friday night. I want to be with family or friends around a Shabbat table. This this is just not like who I am anymore that I want to be out with a bunch of like random drunks on a Friday night. You know, I like random drunks on a Thursday night, but I don't want to be giving up a big piece of who I am and what's important to me for career. I don't really want to be controlled by career. I want to be controlled by other things. (laughs) (laughs) It became really important to me and it was very hard. It was very, very hard because I worked so hard to be at a point where I can make a living as a comedian, which a lot of people never can do. So that's a little brag for you. But um, it was something I was really proud of and is something I'm really proud that I was able to do it. And I still hope that I'll figure out a way to make like a crazy good living doing comedy without that. But I haven't yet at time of this recording. So... It is really difficult. I kind of came at it from the opposite way because I put off even trying in comedy for so long because I keep Shabbat. And I knew certainly in the UK, if you don't do Friday night gigs, it has a massive impact on your professional life. You know, I just eventually the kind of craving to do it properly just overwhelmed virtually everything else. And I just thought I just have to go into it accepting that my path is going to be different from other comics. Like, and it might take me way longer to get to certain places or to be seen by certain clubs or whatever, because I'll have to prove myself 10 times over, you know, and I'll have to prove myself Sunday to Thursday rather than at the weekends. But I think I had to be old enough and secure enough in who I was that I could go into it with my eyes open about that aspect. And I I find like Jewish organizations who are all about bringing people back in, like the Kirov organizations, they have often asked me in the past, will you come and talk to our members about how your Jewishness hasn't impacted on your career? And I always say like, no, no, I won't do that. I'll tell them that I've made a conscious choice and I'm absolutely happy with where I am. And I am lucky, you know, I've worked hard. It is my full-time job. I do make um, some kind of a living 
and I am now playing good clubs. It just took me longer and a different way around. And I do it without swearing and I do it with my hair covered. I'll never be a different person because that isn't who I am. But I'm also not going to pretend that it's an easy route and that everyone should give it a go. I have respect really for both of you because um, you made the choice and I'm all about choices. Like I also love Shabbat and I love to disconnect and I love to immerse myself in being present. So I love the concept and I celebrate it. Like I said, for me, it's not a full-time thing, but I've performed literally every type of situation where I'll be like performing for ultra religious people that I'm not putting on social media because I do a lot of private events. That's the majority of what I do. But then I also perform in the big clubs and then all bets are off. So I do this and I do that. And ultimately what I've learned in this business from the time that I'm there is that when you have priorities and when you stick to those priorities, people respect you for it. No, I don't take jobs on Friday night and that's final. And eventually the universe just sends you what's meant for you anyway. So I really respect you both a lot. Thank you. Respect back at you. Even Absolutely. though I don't like I'm very grateful to the both of you because I get the jobs that you guys won't take. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, in the Jewish community, everyone knows everyone. And we want to know if you have a particular six degrees of can't eat bacon. So this is connected to the Kevin Bacon idea that we all know each other somehow. Is there a particularly interesting or fascinating Jew that you have a connection to, Daniel? I found out like a year ago that I'm like seventh cousins of Peter Sellers. I think that's pretty cool. Wow. Ooh. That's like comedy yichus. Yeah. Can you take us through that journey? Like, no. no. Okay. Just <laughs> Somebody did a family tree and they're like, oh yeah, we're like seventh cousins of Peter Sellers. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. A and I put up mine. a picture of me and Peter Sellers next to each other on uh, Facebook and made a post about it. That's the story. It's a good story. A cousin of mine did like our family tree. If there's a celebrity Jew, we're related to them according to his very complicated research. And I imagine if you said to him, Oh, really? He said we're related to um, Barbara Streisand. That was a recent one. And I said, brilliant. Can we get her on the podcast? <laughs> and he said, yeah, no. Yeah. So well, Peter Sellers is a pretty good connection to have, uh, especially in the family. Uh, Leah, how, how about you? Better if he was alive, I suppose. <laughs> Well, I come from an ultra-Orthodox Hasidish background, so any of my bragging rights are like my, you know, I hail from very uh, chashev, which means illustrious Hasidish background. So I have a lot of relatives. Like, if I drop names, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's OG up in here. <laughs> but um, I think one of the coolest things in my comedy experience was being introduced by Billy Crystal. That was cool. Like he said my name, introducing Leah Horster. So that was pretty dope. What was, um, the, what was the context for that? I did a fundraiser. I emceed an event last year for a big organization in, in New York. And it was like their annual charity gala gala of the year. And someone was able to get him to open. And he brought me what was, what was the charity? Okay, thank you. Now I have to rack my brain. Some Jewish charity. <laughs> it was an East Midwood uh, synagogue. Like it was, it's one of the oldest synagogues in, in Brooklyn. And they did their annual fundraiser. And so I was the MC for the night and they got him to come in. I have a video of it and I watch it like 20 times. I'm like, he said my name. <laughs> He's a very exciting catch. Actually, I'm, I'm gutted. I've mentioned it on the podcast before and I've gone on about it too much. But I was in New York last week. This week, I think. Well, you were in New York last week. But 
barely said this a word week, about that. Yeah, that, that can go on to the bingo. This week, I think it is, as we're recording it, Billy Crystal actually opens on Broadway yeah. doing an adaptation of his film, is it Mr. Saturday Night? I yeah. love Mr. Saturday Night. Yeah, so he's done a musical of it. It's going on Broadway. I think it opens this week. And I've never been more gutted to you know miss that opportunity because that would have been incredible to go and see that. Billy Crystal grew up down the street from me, basically, in Long Beach, New York. Whoa! Um, his brother was my art teacher in high school, and uh, I was very close with his brother. I was like, I basically lived in the art room. So I mean, no offense to Peter Sellers, but that is a far more exciting one. The art well, teacher. I met Billy Crystal. I went to see his last Broadway show, 700 Sundays. And afterwards, I went up and I told him, I'm like, hey, I'm a comedian. I'm also from Long Beach. I grew up right near you. And your brother was my art teacher in high school, and we were very close. Joel. Joel Crystal. So, uh, you know, you'd think, like, that's kind of a, a good connection or something to tell someone. But he just, like, pinched my cheek and then slapped my face condescendingly and said, good for you, kid. That was it. <laughs> wow. So uh, that didn't leave me very happy. Well, that's kind of his character, Mr. Saturday Night. So maybe it's more autobiographical than people realize. After that, I was just like, wow, he's a jerk. It's a shame I looked up to him for so long. Do you know what kind of music he plays? Klezmer. Definitely Klezmer. It's actually, it's a fusion of Klezmer. <laughs> <laughs> An apple cake. And the way he parks, my goodness. Well, everybody seems to know Billy Crystal, apart from Philip and I. I wish we knew Billy but I'm Crystal. I'm glad you had a better experience with him, Leah. That's cool that he said your name. I mean, I didn't really have any experience with him, just him saying my name. But I've also met a lot of cool people in my comedy career, so I feel very blessed. If I see Billy Crystal again, I'll knock him out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that and get the reaction for it. So, I'm ladies and nice. gentlemen of the jury, this was will the Smith. evidence. I will Will Smith him next time. <laughs> That's like a thing now. Yeah. If we had Will Smith and Chris Rock on the show, I think we know what their Bruegus would be. You know, I just finished reading Will Smith's book literally two weeks ago. A friend bought it for me, and he has so many brilliant things in his book, like about his childhood. Like, if you know where he comes from and the type of background he comes from, a lot of the way he lives his life would it be makes West sense. West Philadelphia? Ha! No, but in terms of the nuance of his family, Family upbringings, which it doesn't matter if you're raised Hasidic or secular or anything in between, but the nuances of types of parents that exists and what he missed in his childhood, it's so obvious and it affects him in, into adulthood. So it was just so interesting to watch him walk up on stage and do that because I was like, that makes perfect sense for the inner child in him that's so struggling for something right now. Just an observation. In this section of the show, which we like to call Duolingo, we're going to ask you for your favourite Jewish, Hebrew or Yiddish expressions. The things that you remember hearing maybe growing up or something that tickles your fancy now. So, uh, Daniel. Lach Lomen. I mean, Lach and Kab. Same thing. <laughs> Do you want to explain what that means and why you love it? Well, it sounds Scottish. A lach and cop is like a hole in the head. A lach loman is like a hole in the ground. So um, <laughs> I like the way it sounds. And I like lach. Oh, yeah. Lachs. That's right. I like smoked salmon. Just like Leah. We both like salmon. That's one thing we have in common. My mom is from Scotland. So you could do a from both directions. That's right. A lach and cop and a lach loman. I can give you both of them, all right? You're both amazing at accents of voices, I just realised, the two of you, which is a thing I've never been good at, so I admire it a lot. Lee and I have a lot in common. Loads. We both love fruits in our cake. I think you should start a double act called Fusion Comedy. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> we were both raised in ultra, ultra Hasidic homes by ultra, ultra Hasidic people. For some reason, I think you're going to say sure. by wolves. That's where I thought that was going. Well, but people I don't know who why. wear wolf fur. 
on their head. My dad always used to say whenever he learned about the coming of the Messiah, the Mashiach, and there was going to be Tachiyat Hamitim, like the revival of the dead, he wanted to be in a Hasidic shul because he wanted to see all of the hats leaping off everyone's head as the mink goes scampering back to wherever they came from. That was his little <laughs> dream. Nice. It's cute. What about you, Leah? Do you have a favorite Hebrew or Yiddish or Jewish saying or expression? I think my favorite expression in the whole entire world is the word fet. Fet is spelled F-E-H for those of you that don't know what it means. And it's a super Yiddish word, which means fui or disgusting or ugh. And it's used. So one example would be like, can you believe she's wearing red nail polish? Fet. Did you taste her chicken soup? Fet. Like that. I've never heard that before. Pretty cool. Fet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's nearly all we've got time for, but how will our audience know what you're up to if you never call, you don't write? Normally, we'd allocate 20 seconds to do this, but for you, 30. Daniel, where can our audience find you? Uh, you can find my comic books at fairenoughcomic.com. They are stories from my life turned into comic books. I'm on Twitter at Daniel LaBelle. That's it. Thank you. Lovely. And Leah, how about you? Leah Forster, simple. You can follow me at Leah Forster, L-E-A-H-F-O-R-S-T-E-R on Instagram. And that's, well, everywhere, but mainly on Instagram. And that's where I post all my shows and any new stuff that's coming out. And I appreciate each and every one of you and your amazing support. Thank you. Well, I've really enjoyed this. And from now on, I'll always think of Daniel as the Jewel Hall Park anywhere, as long as there's no sign of a klezmer band. And Leia's the Jew who loves pizza so much that she now wears it inside out. And as my grandmother used to say when she wanted to end my telephone calls, you must have better things to do than talk to me, and you must have better things to do than talk to us, which is a good thing, as sadly we've come to the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our wonderful guests, Daniel Lobel and Leia Forster. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jude Talking without the G. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share the show with everyone you know. And check out patreon.com forward slash Jude Talking still without the G. If it's not a chutzpah to ask, we'd love you to leave us a great review as it helps other people find the show. And join us next time on Jude Talking to Me. <laughs> Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Balkin and judged by our mothers. And Leia is the Jew who loves pizza so much that she now wears it inside out. And as my... I'm really sorry. I'm just, I know my mum's going to pick up on it. Can you put a T on the end of out? I'm very sorry. It's my it's my heritage. I know, I know. And I, I, I resisted it. But <laughs> I, I can sense my mother dialing as we speak. <laughs>